I want to ask you if you're familiar with this situation at all. Maybe if you think back into your school days, maybe there was a time in the cafeteria. I'm going to give you a scenario and see if it makes any sense. Maybe you were on either side of this scenario. It's your first day of your sophomore year of high school, and, and you show up with some kids from the neighborhood that you've hung out with them all summer long, and it's their first day of school, the freshmen that are coming in, and, and they're good friends. You told them that you're going to show them around, and you're going to show them where the quad is and where to get their lunch, and, and you said, hey, I'll meet you up at lunch. Maybe you had a couple of classes together. You do. You go through the lunch line with them, and, and you get your tray, and, and then, and then you, you go and you sit down at a table with your new friends, and you just start, you just start talking. And then it happens, and then they show up. You see, getting into the lunch line now are the other sophomores. These are the kids that you hung out with at school last year. And they look at you now. They kind of look at you funny. Like they're sitting over there. And all of a sudden, you feel it. You feel it in your, your gut. And you don't really know what to do. They're awkwardly looking at the freshmen at the table that you're sitting with. And... All of a sudden, you grab your tray and you grab your milk and you tell your friends, hey, I'll see you after school. And you stand up and you walk over to this other table with the sophomores and you sit down at this table, start having lunch with them. They might actually ask you, hey, who are, who are those losers over there who you were hanging out with? Maybe your sophomore friends kind of point and start laughing and you kind of start laughing. After school, you ride the bus home with your neighbor friends and you try and laugh it off like, like, hey, this is just part of high school. You sure did show these freshmen exactly what happens. It wasn't anything you said, but it was something that you did they certainly got an impression about what it's like to be a sophomore and when you're a sophomore how you're supposed to treat freshmen their first day of school right yeah you showed them exactly what happens you might not have intended to get a point across but you did some of the greatest pillars in, in men of the Bible have also fell into this same exact situation, who, who faced temptation and who, who failed. These are men who actually walked with Jesus. The 12 apostles, they weren't, they weren't saints. They're not, they're not holy. They don't have halos. They were men. They're, they're fallible, just like you and I. They were wrong at times. They were right at times. But even some of the biggest names in the Bible had to confront each other. Last week, I asked you, I said, it's time to check yourself, right? In our world, sometimes we, we, we come into a situation where we're told you can't check somebody else because however they're living, it's okay. Because if it's their truth and they live that truth, it's fine. 
Sometimes we need to check each other. Paul and Peter had this same type of experience where there's a peer pressure situation that one of them fell into. We all know Peter. Cephas, you'll hear him referred to. This is Peter who Jesus said, you are Peter and, which, and, and Cephas, which means rock, and, and on this rock I will build my church. We saw Peter, he was the one who denied Christ three times before the rooster crowed. This is Peter, this is the one who was defending Jesus as he was arrested and, and he took out his knife and he chops off an, an ear of a Roman soldier. This is Peter who walked out on the water to, to Jesus. If there is a man who desperately loved Jesus and would defend him with anything, it was Peter. But Paul had to call him out. He had to say, hey, you need to check yourself because you're you're out of line in your actions and your actions are being an influence for other people. We're reading through the book of Galatians. Paul is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. And we're focusing on Paul's audience and and what, what he's saying through this letter. And last week we saw that Paul said, If anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel other than the one that I've preached to you and I've taught you, they are bringing a false gospel. They are, they are bringing improper teaching. Today we're going to look at not what you say, but rather what you do. I'm wondering, do you speak the gospel in words only? Do your actions speak as loud as your words do, or do your actions speak louder? It's a good question. It's pretty common that you'll hear pastors who will say, to you that we need to be talking to people about Jesus. And and that's absolutely true. We need to be talking to people. But sometimes, some people who talk to others about Jesus, that's as far as they go. It's all they do. They will simply talk. But when it comes time to act, they, they, they get up out of their seats and they go hang out with the other cool kids as the same kids that they were hanging out with last year. It's as if their past life is still the life they're living. It's as if nothing has changed. They're acting as if there's nothing to being a Christian. Acting as if it's okay to simply put on a show when it comes time for church, but then put on your regular everyday face when it comes time to going back into the real world. You know, one of the number one reasons that Some people say, I'm not going to go to church. They say, oh, well, the church is full of hypocrites. They they say something, but they act a different way. They, they tell me that I should, I, should be, um, I should be acting a certain way, but they don't. And, and you're right, the church is full of, of hypocrites. There's that, people see that. I'm not going to lie, this is where hypocrisy is found. It happens a lot. It happened back in, in, in Christ's day. People say that because that's what they see. 
people hear Christians talk about a Savior, but then they see Christians intentionally acting like sinners. We see our words and our actions sometimes don't say the same thing. I want you to come with me to Galatians. We're in chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse number 11. And Paul writes this. He says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Let me stop right there, and I'm going to tell you what this, what this all means, okay? So Antioch is north of Jerusalem by, by quite a bit. It's, and so Paul is a missionary to the Gentiles. And we've talked about Gentiles are people who are not Jews. And so all around this, this area of um, uh, northern Palestine, and you're going to get into Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey and, and, and the area of, of Greece, Paul was going to all these areas. Peter was also one who would go to the Gentiles. So they're in the same town now. And Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but then when the other Jews came around, he picked up his tray and he went over there. And let me tell you why this is important, okay? When the Bible talks about the group of the circumcision, it's talking about the Jews and the, and the Jews who followed the teachings of Jesus. Okay, So we're going to call them Jewish Christians, but they still have this heritage. So they were referred to as that, those of the circumcision. And the Jews had dietary rules that even when they started following Jesus, their dietary rules didn't necessarily go away. This is what they've grown up with. This is part of their culture. So they continue to, to live by these dietary rules. You couldn't eat this or you couldn't eat that. The Gentiles, they didn't have these rules. Peter was eating with the Gentiles and all was good until some Jewish believers came from Jerusalem. Now, James is in Jerusalem. He's a leader of a church there, okay? And so he sends some of the Jewish believers up to Antioch. And they come up, and Peter says, Oh, wow, here comes the guys from Jerusalem. I better straighten up and go eat over here with the Jews. So he does. He picks up his tray, he gets his milk, and he changes tables. I want to show you this, why this is important, but I want you to write this down. For those of you who are taking notes this morning, point number one in your notes is this. Our actions and our words must match. That's so important. Our actions and our words must match. See, here's the problem with what Peter was doing. The Jews believed that you had to follow these rules in order to be saved. You're saved by, by works, by obeying what's called the law. These were rules that were created and going way back into Moses' day. And the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and a lot of Jewish leaders had added rules to this big list. There's like 613 of them that you have to live by to be to, to get yourself even in a position of, of being saved. Well, the gospel of Christ doesn't say that. It's, it's saying you are not saved by your works. But what Peter is doing 
is by his actions, he's showing the Gentiles, he's giving them the impression that, oh, these dietary laws are important. Like, I need to go over here because of some peer pressure, and this is really important. Well, what he's doing is people have come up from Jerusalem, and Peter's kind of, oh, I better start eating these by the dietary laws here because that's the way that you're saved. You've got to follow all of these laws. In Acts chapter 15, we see that Peter is one of those who was in Jerusalem at what we refer to as the Jerusalem Council. Paul had been out ministering to Gentiles and had come back to Jerusalem with, a, with questions, and the, the apostles ironed this out what it takes for the Gentiles. Do they need to follow the dietary laws or not? And it's determined that they don't need to follow these dietary laws, that that they're saved by faith through grace. Peter was at that meeting. I'm going to read this. This is something that Peter said. This is Acts chapter 15, verse number 6. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. He says, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they would hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. That was Peter talking. Paul is a minister to Gentiles. Peter is ministering to Gentiles. And they're both preaching this message of being saved saved by grace through faith. But Peter's actions on this day is giving everyone there the impression that works are important. That what you eat is important. He's giving them the impression that, oh, I'm going to go over here with them because, well, they're my peeps, right? I'm going to go and and hang out. I wonder what people hear from us about our faith when we're not talking about our faith. I wonder if we show the grace of God without saying a single word. All Peter did was grabbed his lunch tray and changed tables. Didn't say anything, but he really said a lot, simply by his actions. I wonder if anyone were to follow you around for a day or listen to you speak or saw you interact with others at work or if somebody just went everywhere you went, would they know without a doubt that you are a follower of Jesus without even listening to your words? Would your actions say that? Or would your actions give them the impression that 
They need to accomplish some unreachable task in order to be saved. Would your actions speak Christ without you using words? Come back with me to Galatians. We're in chapter 2, verse number 13. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth, this is Paul, the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? That's a good point. What Paul is saying, he says, Peter, you grew up as a Jew. You know all their traditions. But what you're telling them by your actions is that you need to follow these traditions in order to be saved. That's not what the gospel says. And Paul says, why are you putting this yoke on them? Why are you giving them burdens that we can't even achieve? Our, our, our ancestors can't even achieve. Here's a second point that I want you to write down this morning. Your Christian faith is of great concern because others are following your lead and example. That's important because we don't want to lead them to hell. Your Christian faith is of great concern because other people are following your lead and your example. And let me tell you something. People that you don't even know are watching you, are watching you. It might be somebody at work. It might be somebody down the street. I want you to see how Paul discusses how he manages his social atmospheres as he's moved into different areas of of, uh, different cultures that he's ministering to. Now remember, Paul, he is both a Roman citizen... And he is a Jewish citizen. He is very um, cultured. He, he can fit in in numerous places. And many of you, are, you have many cultures in your background. Just think about your, your work. But when you go home, to, okay, let me ask you a question. Is there anywhere in your family, maybe it's mom, mom's house or grandma's house, that when you go over there, exclusively they speak Spanish? It's a different culture. Right, And so what do you do? You start speaking in that language because that's the culture of that environment. Right? Paul did the same thing. Paul would spend time with Jewish believers. He would spend time with Gentiles. And he would spend time with people who had no faith at all. I want you to see, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is how Paul managed these social situations. Paul says this, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law, and I did so so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. Watch this, this is important. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share Christ. Yes, 
I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. You see that? Paul is using his cultural diversity to his advantage to bring others to Christ. But he's saying this, even though I'm going to I'm going to, to live in this Jewish community. I'm not going to ignore the law of God. But so I can tell others about Christ, I can associate with them. I wonder if you can associate with anyone in your family, anyone at your work group, that you have an, that, that you have an, an opportunity to interact with because you're part of that culture but I wonder if you're living by the rules of that culture when you're in that situation or if you're living by the rules of God. Some would say, Pastor, does that mean that, that I can go and hang out at the bar now and just get plastered drunk just like everyone else there at the bar just so I can um, evangelize to them? Like, can, can I just go hang out in all these sinful situations so I can evangelize to them? No. See, what Paul said is... I can associate with them, but I don't ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. He says that this is my priority. I'm going to obey this law. If this, if this rule, if, this, if Christ's direction for my life takes me, it's never going to put me in a position that is outside of his authority. It's never going to put you in a position where... You are outside His grace, but it's not going to put you in a position to where you're in sin. He's not going to lead you there. Come back with me to Galatians chapter 2, or in verse number 15. This is Paul continuing to speak. He says, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will ever be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Wow, that's a great line. Listen to that again. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Point number three in your notes is this, and it's a lengthy one. If you've come to Christ and your actions still say that you are loving your old life, then you've got a lot of spiritual growing up to do. It's as simple as that. If you have turned that page and are now a brother or sister in Christ, but your actions still say that you are loving your old life, you have a lot of spiritual growing up to do. In our Christian walk, we like to talk about our old life. As a matter of fact, when, when, when Jesus says you must be born again, this is 
a, a separation between who you were and who you are. But we can't have an old life if we have never stepped away and taken on a new life. We don't go around with a new life and an old life. It's like wearing two sets of clothes. Yes, you are taking on a new life. There should be a drastic difference between your new life in Christ and your old life in sin. I'm not talking about a simple, small difference like, oh, you know, now I watch church on YouTube sometimes. Or I pray a little bit more and I try not to cuss in front of the pastor. Like, I'm not talking about simple small changes. I'm saying there should be a drastic difference between your new life in Christ and your old life in sin. Changes in language, yes. Changes in acquaintances, yes. Changes in action, yes. Changes in in the authority you're following, yes. It might be drastic to change your entire lifestyle. Yes. It might be giving up something. It might be giving up pride. It might be giving up something that the world has told you is okay, but Christ has always said it's not. You might have to give something up. That is a drastic change. I want you to see what Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes this, and he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It's not the rules. It's not the regulation. Paul says, I have discarded everything else counting it all as as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Did you see that? Everything is in the loss column. Christ is in the win column. That's a great trade. Actually, that is an amazing trade. Everything you know, everything that, that you were in your old life, to give that up, For Christ. Do we talk like Christians about our Savior, but then we go out and intentionally act like sinners? Is that what others see from us even when they don't hear us? Paul would call us all hypocrites if our actions don't match our words. Or in Galatians 2, verse number 19. 
Paul says this, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for its righteousness comes through the law. Then Christ died. Sorry. For if righteousness comes through the law, through rules, then Christ died for nothing. If you could work yourself to heaven, Christ died for nothing. If you could follow enough rules to get to heaven, then Christ died for nothing. If you could be good enough, then Christ died for nothing. He's 33 years old when they put him on a cross. You figure back in those days, he still could have lived quite a bit longer. But if, if, your salvation is based on what you do? If it's based on how many doors you go on, knock on? If it's based on the rules you follow? Then Christ died for nothing. They literally then killed a man for nothing. Point number four in your notes is this. Why it matters is because Jesus died for you. He gave himself for you. If we are to die for Christ, who do other people see when they look at you? You or Jesus? Who is it that they see? Because if, if, You have died. If your old self has died to Christ, then others should be seeing Christ in you. I would wonder who they see when they see you. I would wonder who other people recognize when you're not talking. Who do they recognize when you are talking? Do they recognize Christ by your language? Do they recognize Christ through your actions, through your associations? Do they recognize Christ through the way you work? Do they recognize Christ by where you spend your time? Do they recognize Christ by the way that you manage your family and the way that you manage your finances? Do they recognize Christ by the way that that you drive in busy traffic and communicate with other drivers? Do they recognize Christ when you're in the very, very, very long line at the store and things are frustrating because the lady's using a lot of coupons and taking a lot of time. Do they recognize Christ by the eye rolls when you're upset and you're frustrated? See, those are our actions. Our actions speak as loud as our words do. We can't say things 
and not be able to back them up if we're expecting other people to come to Christ. It's what Peter was doing. Peter, an apostle, an evangelist, a man who is commissioned by Christ to go out and to teach others and to bring others into the kingdom was showing others that their works were as important as their faith. Or what he was really doing was telling those who were watching him, he was telling them that these actions need to be part of your life. I don't know if you noticed that, but it it says that other Jewish believers and even Barnabas, who we'll talk about in another message, even they were following Peter's hypocrisy. See how important it is? Other people are watching you. Other people see how you treat other people. Others hear your language. They see you as a leader in your household. They see how you talk to your children. And they follow you. Because either through your words or some other actions, you've told them that you follow Christ. But now they need to know what that looks like in action. Our words must match our actions. But even deeper than that, our actions must match our words. Where are your words coming from? Say, well, pastor, I think I'm good enough. I live good enough. Good enough doesn't get us to heaven. Only Jesus does. If we're trying to tell others that good enough gets them to heaven and we don't tell them about Jesus, then we're missing missing this opportunity to teach them. And we're showing them the wrong message. There is only one gospel. It's not the gospel of YouTube. It's not the gospel of society. It's not the gospel of the celebrities who can make the biggest noise on social media. It's not the gospel of of, uh, liberals. It's not the gospel of conservatives. It's not the gospel of any political party. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only gospel. Do your words preach the gospel? Do they teach the gospel? Do others see you reading the gospel? I wonder at work, how many people know that you are a Christian by your actions? I wonder at work, how many people have seen you carry your Bible to your desk? How many people have seen you on your break? Just take a couple of minutes to read a chapter in Proverbs. Those are actions that match words. See, our actions as Christians, we understand that we don't know it all. We're saved by faith through grace. 
but we are continuing to grow in our faith and continuing to grow means that we need to continue to read and we need to continue to learn. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. It means we never stop teaching because we never stop leading because others will never stop watching. that just reminds us how important our actions are. That just reminds us that we are an example to others. That just reminds us that that we can we can associate with a culture following your directions for our life. thank you for reminding us that our actions speak just as loud as our words do. I pray this morning that everyone watching, everyone here will make that drastic change and that drastic difference between their old life and their new life will make that difference known will recognize that difference. Lord, I pray that you just put your hand of blessing upon all those here this morning and let them take this message and share it in their world with someone. Let others see you through us. Let us be the salt and the light see us, Lord. I don't want them to see us by our name. I want them to see you by your name. Lord, this morning, I I ask you to bless our congregation this week as we look forward to coming and, and seeing each other in person next week. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunities find a place outside and safe to meet. Bring us together. Let us enjoy the joyfulness of being with others in fellowship in your presence. Lord, this morning we thank you and we love you and we praise you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.